I want to talk a little bit about this legalistic spirit that tends to show up often in the body of Christ and some well, even in, in, in some well-meaning people. Here's the thing. We all can be victims of legalism and we naturally sometimes go back to it because it's a safe place. You know, when Moses was taking the Israelites out of Egypt, he was taking them from Egypt into the promised land. And there was a process of going from Egypt to the promised land. Actually, if they would have been obedient, they wouldn't have walked around the same mountain for so many years, you see. So they went from Egypt to the promised land and there was a process of Egypt to the promised land, right? Guys, share the video if you haven't done so already. So what happens is within the process, God is working things out of us. He's removing things from us that are holding us back, that are not allowing us to become more like him. So it's the journey from where God has brought us from. Okay, and we'll notice on that walk, it's not always easy. And sometimes we'll desire to go back to the old ways of thinking or, or, you know, just old doctrine and things that God has tried to bring us from. So I was just thinking about Jesus today. And what was what was the biggest enemy that Jesus had to face other than the devil himself, the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Anytime you see the Pharisees, this is revelation in the moment, guys. This is good. Anytime the Pharisee, the legalistic spirit is attacking a true, wow, this is deep. You're going to have to, you're going to catch this one and want to write it down. Anytime the legalistic spirit is trying to destroy a true man or woman of God, it causes that man or woman of God to actually expand and it causes their ministry to grow. So you'll always, you will always know when a religious spirit is attacking the truth because it will cause the truth to expand. Do you see? Always notice when you attack something that is from the Lord. When you attack something that's from the Lord, it causing it causes expansion. So that's one of the biggest keys to be able to see when you see a battle of, of people and things like that. Go is their growth and is their expansion happening because if people are truly not from the Lord and somebody is from the Lord and they are attacking something, eventually it'll stop it because God, unless the, unless God builds a house, the people labor in vain. So if God is building it, you can't stop it. There's no way to stop something that God is producing and building all these people. I don't know what this guy's talking about. You must be scared to even talk about it. Anyway, I'll leave you in the comments for now. I'll give you some grace. I was using me as an example. See, if you would have listened, you wouldn't have made that stupid comment. So the, 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 because I was using me as an example, because I'm here, I could have used any ministry. I could have used Benny Hinn's ministry. I could have used, uh, any ministry, you know, I could use any ministry. I just use me because I'm here, but because I used me, you manifested in the chat. So anyway, you say something ridiculous in the comments, guys, I might have to say something to you. So either that or block you. I'm not, I just, it's crazy. I just got back from a 20 something hour flight. <laughs> so nonsense and me ain't working. Nonsense and me ain't, ain't working together so much right now. When that religious spirit and you'll be able to tell the religious spirit when you see that the religious spirit is only causing it to grow. For example, I also have a um, I have I have you see events like I have the Forerunner conference coming up, right, which I hope you're coming to. If you don't notice, how much is that coming under attack? They're attacking that thing like crazy. They're saying that this, I have all kinds of ministers, man, coming to this conference. You see the amazing conference. 
And if you really pay attention, you'll be like, why are these people? Why are people attacking this conference? Why are they so scared of this conference? What is it? What is it they're really scared of? You see? And I'm telling you, it's that legalistic spirit. It's that Pharisee spirit. They come on the scene and they, they want to stop something and they can't stop nothing. Here's what I said. If you know that you're going to say something and it isn't going to produce results, why are you saying anything at all? If you really look at this too, guys, look at people who are always trying to expose people. Who has been able to really stop anything? All these people that are talking against each other. Like you see people coming against all kinds of people, right? When you see people coming against you, who's really stopped anybody? So really, really, really what's going on? Why, why do we entertain anybody trying to expose anybody that isn't stopping anybody? That pesky religious spirit. It never ceases to be called out, does it? Uh, we hear it from time to time, uh, most often in the movement of the charismatic slash hyper charismatic, even new apostolic reformation, which I'm bringing up today because of some of the things that Daniel Adams, who was the voice you just heard, was saying on this episode today. And I want to highlight this because I had seen some footage that led me down this trail to find this actual Facebook live that I just played some clips for you and I'm going to play some more today. And it came back and stemmed back from a conversation he had with another gentleman in South Africa named Leon Dupree. He had just recently gotten back, Daniel had, from South Africa. He had been there for two weeks, and he had been ministering on what he called the Daniel Adams South Africa tour. Now, while there, there was one service I actually caught the whole thing as far as watching it online on YouTube, and it was about three hours or three hours, three or three and a half hours long, but it was mainly seemed like a deliverance type service and a spiritual warfare type service. There is a clip that is circulating around that has gone viral of him alleging to cast a demon out of a woman, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that as well because it ties into this. One of the things that occurred there along with this spiritual warfare ministry time in this one service along with other services was he had a almost like a, a podcast type format conversation with Leon Dupree. And essentially what happened from that whole discussion that Leon and Daniel Adams had was their conversation talking about salvation and repentance, which I'll just be honest, watching that uh, throughout that, and there were things they said that were I would agree with, uh, some of the things that they referenced as far as a, a Christian liberty or a personal conscience type thing as far as Romans 14 and a, a believer's concern. There were things with them I would agree. There's things I would disagree on. But at any rate, it ultimately boiled down to their talk about salvation and repentance, and people were getting upset about the differences between eternal security and uh, that you could lose your salvation. At least that's what they said was the problem, that people were getting upset. But in that conversation, they talked about demonic deliverance and why demons come in and, and how they come in, and legalism was, was brought into the conversation. So I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about some of the things that Daniel Adams said here, bring up some points, bring up some scriptures, and I want to share some resources with you that may help some of you uh, as far as understanding repentance, uh, salvation, and what life looks like for the born-again believer after they uh, come to saving faith in Christ, and what, what that life is supposed to look like as a born-again believer after justification. 
and maybe clear up some things as far as do I need to continue to repent or confess my sins after I'm born again? What does that look like? What does that mean? Join me as we continue on with this discussion today. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Six Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Six Scribe. Before we dive into any more of the clips here in just a bit, I want to touch on a couple of things that Daniel Adams said in the first few clips that I shared before I forget those thoughts. A couple of things I noticed, and I've noticed this consistently in some of his uh, talks and interviews and some of his lives, that there's this undertone, if, if there's any disagreement or people that are asking questions, and I noticed this in the conversation that he and Leon Dupree had, is that there was almost, whether they meant it to be this way or not, it was it almost came across very rude and prideful when people ask questions, uh, and it was belittling. Um, in, in the way. So I, I want to just say that up front that maybe by chance, if Daniel happens to listen to this episode, that maybe taking that in consideration, because scripture does tell us how we are, are to conduct ourselves. And even if someone is questioning us as a believer, the fruit of our life should demonstrate patience, kindness, gentleness. We can be firm with people, but yet loving and lead them back to the truth of the word of God. Now, this is coming from someone who has obviously uh, sinned and missed the mark drastically on many occasions. And so the Lord, uh, by His Spirit and by His Word, is continuing to sanctify me <laughs> in that area. But nevertheless, when I was listening to that, I couldn't help but to be um, troubled by the fact that even people that were asking questions, and I don't know how they were asking them because you couldn't see them on the screen when you're watching the videos and their chats, but it was, it was very defensive, and it came across very rude and prideful, whether they were talking about fasting or whatever they were talking about, uh, prayer and, and different things. It just was the questioning was not welcomed or it was not taken in a graceful way. And they talked a lot about grace. And so if we want to talk about grace, then, you know, let's talk about how we extend grace to others, even when they are combative or hostile with us, or even if they're not, we are to be gracious in our in our discussion, in our in how we conduct ourselves, because ultimately we want to exalt Christ for those of us who are truly in Christ. The other thing I wanted to point out too before we get into the clips was Daniel made a point of saying, you know, the people, I guess he would he would lump me in this category, the people that actually expose or discuss these matters. I don't, I don't have any enjoyment out of talking about these things and drawing attention to these things. And the reason why I do this is because of the very nature of what I came out of and the position that I once had, and also recognizing the massive error that is going on in some of this teaching, also noticing at the same time that there are areas of truth that are being um, claimed or, or proclaimed in the midst of, of great error that's going on and beliefs and practices that are going on that are really not glorifying Christ. So just to kind of help for one thing, just because a a false teacher says something true doesn't mean that they're not false. (laughs) And secondly, he made a comment of saying, you know, every time these people attack my ministry uh, or any other man or woman of God that's growing, whenever they try to expose them, they only get bigger. And so you can't stop what God's doing. You're not going to stop me. Well, Let me just point something out to you that should be obvious. Just because something grows and gets bigger doesn't mean that it's from God. 
Uh, we can look at different religions, such as even Mormonism, for example, that has exploded through the years. Just because something is big in number or somebody's YouTube account is big in number, I think Daniel Adams is actually close to a million followers or subscribers on YouTube, uh, just on that cat on the on just on that platform alone. But just because someone has large numbers does not mean that they're biblically sound. It also does not mean that God approves of it. And I think that that and and. And I think that that's something that we have put in our minds and thinking, well, just well, because it's big, that means that God's favors on it. And that's not always the case. So I do want to I've said that before, but I just wanted to put that out there um, and and give you something to think on as far as that's concerned. Now, we'll get back into this Facebook Live that Daniel Adams did recently this month soon after he got back from South Africa. But again, the whole argument that's, that, that transpired because of this talk that he and Leon Dupree had was from a misunderstanding that was not clearly conveyed in their discussion. And I would, I would second and third and fourth and fifth that as far as anybody who had issues with understanding what their stance was, their conversation was not clear. From that, it started a lot of debate, it seemed like, because both of them put out reaction videos on their Facebook accounts regarding this issue of repentance and eternal security and losing your salvation, uh, but really addressing repentance. And there was some talk in that discussion as far as, uh, you know, that you only need to repent once, if I'm remembering that correctly, and that a Christian shouldn't have to continue to repent necessarily after you've been born again. And uh, also talking about repentance as far as it was more so for the Jewish people. It did, it was mentioned a couple of times to the Gentiles. So there were just different things like that. And along with their discussion of uh, like I said, fasting, prayer, uh, types of movies you watched, drinking alcohol, the different things that uh, they discuss, and I won't get into all that today, even they call moral failure, which let's just call it what it is, is sin. Uh, when you have moral failures in your life, whether it's adultery or whatever it is, if it's labeled in Scripture as sin, uh, a PC way of, of, of referring to it is moral failure, but it's sin. And it needs to be addressed in, in a loving and gracious, let truthful way, according to scripture, in wanting to restore that person back to God, not back to public ministry, but back to God himself, because sin separates us from God. And what sin does in the life of a born again believer is that it cause, it, it hinders our relationship with God as our Father. And so that's something that we have to understand. There's one article that I'll share with you later that talks a little bit about this, about repentance as far as justification is concerned versus uh, confession, repentance as a born-again believer in your sanctification. I know that they've done, both of them have done videos trying to clarify this situation. Uh, so there's some things in there, again, that, that are conveyed as, as truthful, that agree with scripture. But again, I want to go back to some of the things that were said in this video. So about 21 minutes into this Facebook Live, uh, Daniel Adams touches on the issue of repentance and trying to clarify and clean up some of the stuff that was said between him and Leon. Let's hear what he has to say for a little bit. Say I don't believe in repentance, but do you hear me saying repent? But I remember I believe in the word repent in a relationship sense and in a believing in a belief sense, right? So when when I say there's when you repent when you first come to Jesus, you repent. 
You repent of what? You repent of your sins. You acknowledge that his blood is covering you and making you white as snow. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So when we sing that song, we say, ah, the blood of Jesus makes me so white. It makes me so wonderful. I'm clean. I'm clean. I'm clean. But then the blood at some point doesn't become good enough and you become dirty again. Do you see what I'm saying? So if the blood has caught you at the first place, what's what is the significance of going on to the repentance of sins over and over again? You eventually you have to walk into relationship and allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify you, to 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 bring holiness as your portion and allow you to walk it out. You see what I'm saying? So now the repentance we talk of now is the changing of a mind towards something. You're changing your mind. The word is met. Now, he's talking about repentance here and the blood of Jesus and the and the the beginning of repentance when you first are born again, because all of us are dead in our sins. Ephesians 2, 1 talks about this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Uh, in fact, that might be a good way to interject right here just to give a reminder as far as the state of every person before coming to faith, saving faith in Christ. And there's some things that, that uh, him and Leon said in their discussion. I want to play some of those in just a minute. Again, it's a two and a half hour <laughs> discussion. So I'm just going to play little tiny clips from that because it was, it was long and drawn out again. And there was a lot of stuff that was muddy, to be honest with you. And I don't want to say that to be mean. It was just not clear. And so I can see why they had to make reaction videos because or response videos because they what they said was not clear it was very muddy and confusing what they said um and i'm glad that they did make those videos but still there are concerns with the things that they teach um at any rate when we talk about ephesians 2 it's a good reminder for all of us it says and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. I wanted to read that because there's something in the conversation that Leon and Daniel talk amongst themselves and say that I, it, again, it was confusing and it didn't sound theologically sound <laughs> when it was stated. And I want to play that here in just a minute. But the other thing I want to point out too, and just give you something to think about what he just said, and this plays into deliverance ministry. Daniel mentioned about how almost alluding to it seems, and if I'm wrong in taking it this way, then I'll apologize for this. But when he talked about the person that, as a born-again believer, a professing believer, thinking they have to continue to repent or continuing to repent for sin, then not having an understanding of holiness and sanctification and such. Let me just throw this out here for two things to think of. An unregenerate person, meaning a person who is not born again, has no conviction and no conscious understanding or recognition of sin. So I would argue that a born-again, true born-again believer who has heard the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ being a propitiation for their sin, and again, they both use these terms and, and use Christianese 
Um, Daniel's going to be using Naranese in later on, as you'll hear a little bit. But they talk about sanctification, using those words, repentance and propitiation. Uh, Leon talked about that, the propitiation of sins, and talking about how it was for the whole world, and that the blood of Christ is is um, poured out for everybody, for the whole world, and that the Holy Spirit has fallen on all flesh already. That makes it sound as if that unbelievers have the Holy Spirit. Again, he may not; they may not mean it that way, but that's the way it sounded. So I can see why there was confusion on some of the things that were said about what they said about repentance and different things. And I'll play that clip just so you can hear it, and maybe someone can help me to understand it a little bit better. It, it sounded as if you don't need to continue to repent for your sins as a born-again believer, that you have some misunderstanding. Well, it would seem that a born-again believer is being convicted by the Holy Spirit, and that is part of progressive sanctification, that you are being sanctified daily and brought to repentance because you're of your faith in Christ. You now realize that you can come before the high priest, who is Jesus Christ, and he has permitted you to have the way to come before the throne of grace with confidence in time of need. And that he has atoned for your sins once for all. We know that past, present, and future. But we also know that we will sin in this world as born-again believers. And we have a high priest who is ever interceding for us. And thank God he is ever interceding for us. But at any rate, we need to remember that and recognize that it doesn't give us a license to sin. And there is a difference between someone that is habitually living in sin. There is no godly sorrow, as 2 Corinthians 7 talks about, about the godly sorrow versus a worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow will lead to repentance. And repentance, as he talks about, and we're going to look at some resources, to to realize that repentance is a ch- not only a change in our mind, but it's a, it's a change in our actions. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. And these two men did say that, and so... I would agree with that statement. But there are things that they're saying that are not, they're they're contradicting, it would seem, what they are teaching. Because their whole stance on deliverance is that it's for born-again believers. So if you're going to sit there and say, well, you just don't believe that the blood is strong enough, you you got cleansed of your sin once for all because of what Christ did, which is true and biblical, then why are you casting demons out of professing believers? Because I thought that the blood was strong enough to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as, I, as I've beat this drum multiple times, Scripture over and over again to the believer points to the battle being with, from without, not from within. So the, there is spiritual warfare. There is most certainly a devil. There is most certainly demons. There are most certainly demons. But it looks like over and over again that the battle that we face, the spiritual warfare that we face against the demonic is on the outside of the born-again believer who has been redeemed, who has been blood-bought, and who is now the temple of the Holy Spirit. There is never at any time any instruction to believers that they are to cast demons out of themselves or have these or do these other things in order to seek out demons being cast out of them. And so his statement seems to contradict his, his teachings and his practices, as we'll continue on it and listen to this. But I, I want to point those things out. Now, I want to go to the discussion that he and Leon Dupree had and just play a couple of clips for you so you can listen to some of the things that were said. Oh, yeah, yeah. They need, you put them right back in law. 
they need to renew their mind through this, through this, through this, through this. The Holy Spirit is the one who is renewing the mind, sanctification. He's the sanctifier. You don't even have to tell them to go and renew their mind because by grace and through faith, Jesus, through his spirit, is empowering our body once we receive grace to have an empowered mind because his grace empowers the mind, the body, the soul to be changed. Because how do we say we say we renew the mind by reading the word? And I preached on it, but yes, you can read do. the word and be completely demonized. Yes, yes. Yeah, so this was one of those examples I was listening, and I couldn't help but to listen to it a couple of times over and over again at this timestamp. This was about 12 minutes, 45 seconds in to the conversation. But Daniel saying that the Holy Spirit brings sanctification and that uh, that Jesus basically makes us whole, mind, body, and spirit. Well, that, again, it negates deliverance ministry. And they're going to talk about deliverance ministry in this because they believe that demons can come in because of people listening to different things or uh, coming back to the same issues they dealt with. And and they never say legal rights. I I don't remember them ever saying legal rights, but these ministers believe this. The deliverance people that, that teach this and minister this, they believe that you give demons legal rights. So let's listen to a little bit more of what they said on on this topic about 16 minutes in. But guys, so, so you would say if somebody comes back continually for deliverance, they battle in their mind with condemnation and legalism that gives that demon somehow it gives a power. Right power. The devil works off of the power of sin, condemnation, the legalistic sin mind. Sin comes in by the law. Sin comes in by the law because the law is the reveal. See, Jesus even said, and the Bible even tells you, it says it in Galatians 2, I think. It says that, I think it's Galatians 3, it says that the law empowers sin, but the law is still pure, holy, and righteous because it's the revealed character of God. It's his mindset. It's his yes, ways. Yes, yes, it's who yes. he is. Yes. You see what I'm saying? But he also knows that that standard was there so that we would appreciate when he stepped in here and gave us the full sacrifice Come on. and the full freedom from sin through himself, through his son, Jesus Christ, through that sacrifice yes, on the cross. Yes, yes. And the blood, some people don't like it, but the blood covers all. All sin, the whole world, world. not some sin, all, all sin. sin, past, present, and future. Yeah, and watch this. When the blood was shed, it also allowed the spirit to fall on all flesh, mm. not some flesh. Because you know, in the Old Testament, it first had to be blood, then the spirit. That's why blood had to be shed for the spirit to come on all flesh. All flesh. And people have trouble with that. Because how could the Holy Spirit be on all flesh because of the blood? Yes. Because of this. That's, that's what we do is we come and we make people aware of what spirit is pursuing them. The Holy Spirit is, is up on them. They're, on. they're in the dark. They are not enlightened to the, to, the, to the reality of what Jesus has done to them. Come on. They can, you can't be born again unless you realize who's your bestest yes. friend. Yes. yes. Okay. So a couple of things there just to, to point out, and I would encourage you to do some study. If you picked up some of the scriptures they're referencing, such as in Acts 2, when Peter is reciting the prophecy of Joel that's found in the Old Testament about uh, your sons and daughters will prophesy that the, the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. I would just encourage you to do some Bible study about what that means, <laughs> because that in, in context, and I found uh, not to not to pick on Daniel, but I found that when he references certain scriptures, they're out of context. So in this instance, uh, the gospel that we are to proclaim is in accordance with scripture. And you'll hear some of these individuals in this particular movement, like him and Leon and others, that will say that they minister the full gospel. And when they say full gospel, they mean not only 
ministering uh, Jesus Christ being crucified for your sins, but they also believe casting out demons, miracle signs and wonders must accompany in order for it to be a full gospel. That's adding to the gospel, which they have been arguing in their, both in their video and in their response videos that they don't want to add to the gospel. They believe that telling someone they to, to calling them to repent and saying that you must repent in order to be saved, which I can understand why they're trying to make that um, delineation there, because to say that you have to repent in order to be saved could potentially add to the, the gospel as far as works are concerned. We know, again, I'm going to state this again, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. It is not any work that we can do. We also need to understand biblically repentance is involved in that. So God is bringing us to a place by his spirit in helping us to recognize we, are, we have been at enmity with God. We have loved our sin more than we've loved God. As, as unregenerate, spiritually dead people in re- salvation, we are repenting because we are turning to God and turning to his ways and turning away from the sin we once loved and that kept us in bondage because sin does keep us in bondage and we are either a slave to sin or we are a slave to righteousness. And Romans talks about this. There Again, there are things that they say that sound correct. And then when you start looking at this, you're going, What? So when he talks about that the blood, the blood was shed for the spirit to come on all flesh and that people have trouble with that because how could the Holy Spirit be on all flesh? It doesn't say that he's on unbelievers. How could the Holy, and how could the Holy Spirit be on all flesh uh, and, and making it sound as if that, uh, that they make people aware of what, this, this, of what spirit is pursuing them, that the Holy Spirit is upon them? Nowhere in Scripture does it say that every person, unbeliever and believer, has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to bring conviction of sin, and those that don't know Christ are condemned already. And if they're not, in their gospel message, if they're not telling as to why you need Christ, that you're saved from the wrath of God. Romans 5, 9, and 10 talks about this. If we're not... stating that as to why people need a savior. This is such good news. God wants to reconcile you back to Christ. He wants you to turn to Christ. He wants you to come to saving faith in him and trust him to save you from the wrath of God and to save you from the penalty of your sins so that you can have the promise of eternal life and you can be adopted, not only justified, but adopted into the family of God. I mean, our whole nature changes. And, and yet we live in a now and not yet. We are still battling with sin in this world. The difference is, is that we have hope and we have victory because, bless God, Jesus Christ died for us not only for, to take away the penalty of sin, but now we have power over sin. And it's by His Spirit. And it's through the Word of God that we can know how to walk in the, in the sanctification when we're in this world. My goodness, I mean, there's such good news in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't need our help adding to it. But all of us have been guilty at one time or another trying to add something to it before we come to the truth of what, what Scripture actually says. These things, I'm sorry, but they're adding stuff to this at times when they're saying the full gospel and including all these things. Nevertheless, when he says this, I just want you to consider that. Is the Holy Spirit actually upon unbelievers? And what gospel, I have yet to hear them present the gospel to someone. 
I've heard bits and pieces of it in their conversations. I have yet to hear an actual biblical gospel message and not referring back or appealing to personal testimony. If you want to appeal to a personal testimony, the personal testimony is the gospel that I was a sinner and he saved me. I was, uh, I deserved punishment because of my sin. I was in rebellion against God. I had broken his laws and we know the law is a mirror. They keep talking about the law. It, it shows us the nature of God. The law reveals the nature of God. And in it, it reveals the requirements for righteousness, which is perfection. So that should help us understand right there. Nobody goes to the Father except through Christ, and nobody goes to heaven as far as if we're relying on our own merits and our own perfection, our own righteousness, which is as filthy rags, according to Isaiah. We're in despair if it's based on our works. But we know it's not because Christ was perfect He's sinless in every way. He fulfilled the law and the words of the prophets. And he paid the penalty that we deserved. So all of the debt that we owed for our sin, he's now paid for that. We owe no debt as believers. Now, unbelievers are condemned already because they don't believe. Not until that's been granted to them by the Father. And, you know, that's a whole other thing. And they talk a little bit about that too, uh, just barely. We don't come to Christ unless God the Father draws us first. John 6, 44 talks about this. Uh, and then, the, you know, the whole issue is eternal security and that you can lose your salvation. I know there have been debates about that. They talked about this. I, I actually agree that there have been debates on this, and there's not been a, a final conclusion on that. But we should be able to have healthy discussions about it. The thing that I, again, I did not uh, think was fruitful in their video was them basically they didn't like being questioned and so in turn they were being very arrogant and prideful and rude to other people we have to be mindful of that if we are born again believers then the fruit of our life should not only be demonstrated in with people that agree with us but it should be even more so with people that don't agree with us and that we are demonstrating and it's walking in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of us need that correction. All of us, myself included. Uh, Daniel did mention about going to Galatians 3. What he said, uh, just to recap, he said that Galatians 3 says that the law empowers sin, but the law is still pure, holy, and righteous because it's revealed the character of God. It's his mindset. It's his ways. It's who he is. Uh, I, I could not find that in Galatians 3, um, and th- that could be an honest mistake that a lot of us make. We can misquote Scripture and think it's in a certain passage when it's not. So he seems to be combining several passages, such as Romans 3.20, and even looking at Romans 7.12. Uh, just to let you know what those say, uh, for example, Romans chapter 3, verse 20 states, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And then Romans 7, 12 states, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So those two things he seemed to combine together uh, from Romans, not Galatians 3. And we know what the law does. It reveals the nature of God. And I'll just reiterate this again. He said that the blood allowed for the spirit to fall on all flesh, not some flesh. So I do not agree with that. I do not believe in what, the inter- what he's interpreting that based on Acts 2 when Peter's talking on the day of Pentecost. I do not believe that the Holy Spirit is upon unbelievers. In fact, we know that the word tells us 
that the, the cross is folly. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. That unbelievers are blind. They're spiritually blind. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. It is by the Spirit of God, by the proclamation of the gospel, that they come to saving faith in Christ. It is by that. Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. It is by the proclamation of the word of God and by his spirit who is not on, he has not come upon unbelievers. Again, there, there is a, it's very convoluted in what they're saying. And it may be that they believe something a little bit more than that, than what they've stated in some of their response videos, which I have watched some of them. I don't know. But at any rate, to make such statements like that, I, I can see why it brought confusion. The other things I would point you to as well is uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. And some of the things that we need to pay attention to in Scripture when we're talking about sin and how the Bible tells us to deal with it. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, we see that John is talking to other believers and he reminds them, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And it seems uh, interesting to note that cleanses there is in the present tense. So this seems to be a continual thing that's going on. In fact, I want to read to you from Logos in a commentary critical and explanatory on the whole Bible. Under John first under first John one seven, when you look at that phrase, the blood of Jesus cleanseth us from all sin, it says in this resource, daily contracted through the sinful weakness of the flesh and the power of Satan and the world. He is speaking not of justification through his blood once for all, but of the present sanctification, because cleanse is in the present tense, which the believer walking in the light and having fellowship with God and the saints enjoys as his privilege. And they say to compare this to John thirteen ten, which compared to John chapter 13, verse 10 said, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. And that is Jesus speaking there. Uh, we also compare that here in this resource to John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's in First John 1, 9. It says, a step further besides forgiving us of our sins, Christ's blood is the cleansing mean whereby gradually being already justified and in fellowship with God, we become clean from all sin, which would mar our fellowship with God. Faith applies the cleansing, purifying blood. And then it goes on to talk about the confession of sins is a necessary consequence of walking in the light. First John chapter one, verse seven. If thou shalt confess thyself a sinner, the truth is in thee, for the truth is itself light. Not yet has thy light become perfectly light, as sins are still in thee, but yet thou hast already begun to be illuminated, because there is in thee confession of sins. And that's quoting Augustine. And, and as we go on even, we can see in 1 John 1, 8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And then John goes on to continue to remind them as little children uh, that they have an advocate with the Father. This is Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, Leon mentioned that about the sins for the whole world, as did Daniel. And that can go back again to what you believe based on what the who the world is. There are people that believe different things. They believe that there is a certain a group of elect that that's applying to, 
And there are others that believe that that applies to everyone. When you talk about that and you reference that such as they did, and this is how I took it when I was watching it. Well, you know, people just don't want to accept the fact that the blood of Jesus has propitiated for the whole world. You need to acknowledge the fact, and I do not believe that it was acknowledged in this discussion, that there are people that do not come to saving faith in Christ. So, again, it can get on a slippery slope. If you want to say that the the blood is for the whole world, and then you're not following that out in in its conclusion of going, well, not everyone is born again. Um, and and leading to even a hyper grace message, and I'm not saying that's what they believe. The, the the discussion was confusing. Honestly, there were other things that were stated that were very off putting. Uh, there was at one point that Leon made a statement about an hour and five minutes in, and he was discussing about God making you fall and that you will use that sin for His glory because the Bible says He will work all things. You will use all things together for the good. All things, even sin, God will use. And you will, if you don't understand grace, God will make you fall into sin until you understand it. That is my experience. And that's it's a transcript from the YouTube video. So I'm time stamping that in case you want to watch it. The name of the video is The Prophetic. And that way you can just double check me on what I'm saying because I don't want to misrepresent them. I mean, there was other things that were said too about... Uh, removing sin consciousness from yourself that you are too, that we're too sin conscious and that that is why we're asking is this bad is that bad these people were asking certain things is this bad is that bad and because these people were asking these questions Leon basically told them you're sin conscious and you're not righteousness conscious uh, the Bible says that we are not going to be uh, or where we are or we have been made the righteousness of Christ Jesus and then he said you are his righteousness Uh, Christ is my righteousness. I have no righteousness in and of myself, and I am not Christ's righteousness. His righteousness has been imputed to me, and my sins were imputed to him, and he has cleansed me from all my unrighteousness. He is my righteousness. I am not his righteousness. So I don't know if he misspoke there. I'm trying to give the benefit of the doubt here, but at the same time, I'll be frank with you, I'm very leery of these two men, and I'm leery of others that are in this camp that are teaching some of the things they're teaching. Uh, There was another thing, too, real quick in this discussion, too, and then there's a couple of clips I want to play before we get into a little bit more of a study here. And there was another thing, too, about 54 and a half minutes in where Daniel Adams was talking about uh, drinking and and that it lowers your inhibitions and uh, that if you've not dealt with issues, that Jesus will deal with you, basically, when that happens. But Jesus didn't have any issues, is what he said, because he was always drunk on new wine. I, I <laughs> call me a legalist or a Pharisee. I find that offensive when you say something like that about uh, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, God Himself. I find that offensive to say, "Well, Jesus was always drunk on the new wine." Uh, when Scripture tells us that we are to be sober-minded, uh, we are to be vigilant. That was fifty-four and a half minutes in. So double-check that timestamp if you wish to verify that that he said that. At any rate, I want to back up a little bit to about 23 minutes into the Facebook Live so you can hear a little bit more of what Daniel had to say. I need to change my mind about that moment. I need to go back and know that this wasn't good. This is a bad result. Or on my way in, before I get there, I have a change of mind and I say this isn't a good idea. So that is metanoia, to change your mind, right? Turn from from, from something, Okay, but you really only repent of sin. You repent of your sin at first. You go, hey, I acknowledge I'm a sinner 
in need of a savior and you accept the grace of Jesus, you accept the blood of God, he covers you. Now watch this. A legal, yes, Romans 12, 1, a legalistic spirit, what the Pharisaical spirit will do, um, the Pharisee spirit, what the Pharisee spirit will do is take you back into a place of focusing on what Jesus paid for. Ah, did you hear that? Come on. What the Pharisee wants you to do is to put you back onto the sin mindset. Now you're focused consistently all the time on looking for sin that has been covered by the blood of Jesus. Okay. Here, okay, guys, here's one manifesting in the chat now. <laughs> I don't know why y'all why y'all do what you do. Oh my goodness. They're gonna they even show up as you talk about them. Yeah, so I just want to throw this in here as a as a personal reflection, and again to to steer you back to First John, one, uh, even the whole uh, epistle of First John to read that through and to see what John had to say to fellow believers and to be encouraged by that. But I think that we need to be reminded for those of us who are in Christ uh, that. We are told uh, to confess our sins, and confession also means not only acknowledging we did something wrong, because someone can acknowledge something wrong, and it can be out of, out of worldly sorrow because they are sorry they got caught. There is a godly sorrow, uh, and we are to, to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And part of our sanctification is growing in this understanding that when we sin, we are to confess our sin and repentance involves us again, turning back to the truth of, of Christ, turning back to his ways. Let me just say that as a born again believer, I am very thankful that I have a high priest ever interceding for me. And the reason why I need that intercession still, because I have breath in my body and I fall short daily. That doesn't mean that I'm living in a habitually sinful lifestyle. I am aware every single day that I still have a sinful nature because scripture tells me that. And also too, it's not in condemnation. If anything, I am grateful at the fact I have a high priest ever interceding for me who has made a way for me to come to the throne of grace and to know that when the Holy Spirit convicts me, that's a gift. I don't look at that as condemnation. That's a gift because that I can recognize now as a believer is an opportunity for me to grow in spiritual maturity and to know that I am saved, that I'm saved, that I have hope because I can go before God. I can ask and confess my sin before him and ask him to forgive me and know that Jesus once for all paid the penalty for my sin once for all, past, present, and future while still acknowledging that I'm in a fallen world with a sinful nature to contend with, but now I am not left ill-equipped. I have the Holy Spirit who indwells me, and he sanctifies me daily, conforming me to the image of Christ. And one day, I'll be free from the presence of sin, and I'll be glorified with Christ. I'll be in his presence forever and be able to enjoy him forever. And in the meantime, I'm on this earth, then I recognize that the gift that God has given by grace through faith in his son, Jesus Christ alone, and recognize that the Holy Spirit has been given to quicken me when I sin. Because again, a dead man can do nothing. 
an unregenerate, unrepentant person, an unbeliever, does not have that conviction. There is a condemnation on them because of their unbelief. Conviction is a gift. So I don't know if Daniel believes this or not. And again, way he's conveying it, it almost sounds as if, well, you just need to repent once. You don't need to continue to repent. Well, your confession should also draw you back to Christ to cause you to turn and say, I'm dealing with this issue. And let me also say this too. It is ironic to me to hear some of these teachings coming from people who profess to be casting demons out of born-again believers. You don't, this is the first time I've heard that that term use of sanctification, trying to utilize it in that way of growing in your walk with Christ, but then saying you cast demons out of born-again believers. And there is a clip that's circulating right now uh, of Daniel Adams, and he is alleging to cast demons. Again, it was at this service in South Africa. That's And I had recognized the background and knew that it was Leon Dupree's church because of research I've done in the past on some of the stuff Leon's done that I'm going to have in the near future on a teaching he did about pre-existing. But at any rate, (laughs) that's how I started following the breadcrumb trail. But there is a video clip of him alleging to cast demons out. And let me just, let me just tell you this, my honest take on that. And I watched it a couple times. It seemed like a complete mockery of the gospel. The gospel was not even presented, first of all. So I don't know what kind of gospel was alleged to be presented in that service. But this woman uh, was made a mockery of. Christ was made a mockery of. There were people in there that were laughing because she was, there was a claim that a demon was speaking out of this woman. And Daniel is conversing with this demon on stage and they're giving a microphone to the, and this is not an uncommon thing in the deliverance movement a lot of times. Uh, Not all the deliverance ministers will do this, but a a lot of times you'll see them give the microphone or put a microphone in in the front of the face of the person with the alleged demon. And it looks like um, a live broadcast of some sort of soap opera episode. It's horrible. And I felt so bad for that woman because whether she was truly thinking she had a demon or acting on stage or whatever was going on with that, it did not look authentic. uh, Daniel was joking and making fun of this alleged demon on there. People were laughing. It honestly looked like a bunch of goats being entertained. It was irreverent, and it really struck fear, um, the fear of God, when I watched it because I thought, wow, this is serious. I mean, if you think you can stand up there and act like that and say you're a minister of God and to do something like this and humiliate this individual. She's willing to be humiliated and to conduct yourself in such a way and the gospel's not presented and basically stay, saying to her, uh, to, the, to the alleged demon, well, she's going to start a kingdom business and that's when people erupt and praising God. There was no proclamation of the gospel. No proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the call to repent and believe in Christ. None of that. So uh, that's why it concerns me when, when this teaching and it's wrapped in this, uh, in this language and it sounds like it passes the, the biblical doctrine test. But when you start looking at it more, you're thinking, wow, this is really convoluted. I don't even know what you truly believe because your actions don't line up with what's coming out of your mouth. 
about what you believe about sanctification and such. You believe that Jesus' blood is sufficient, but it's not apparently not for, for your whole being, as he said earlier, for body, mind, and spirit, but yet you believe that demons can indwell believers and hide in the flesh and the, and the soul. So which is it? It's not drawing out to its uh, a conclusive end that makes sense. So let me play this one last clip, and then I want to share several resources with you um, before we part ways today. But now this is why I said that he was speaking Naranese, and this is another reason to bring this up. So look at the DNA of a person, and you'll find out what spirit. You'll find out what spirit that they're actually being led by. Are they being led by the Father? Are they being led by the same spirit that the Pharisees were um, led by? That's what we need to that's what we need to look for. My my job is right now, you guys know I'm building a fivefold in the supernatural life. We have a lot of evangelists, we have pastors, you know, and we are seeing awesome fruit. Even one of them right now, Pastor Amelia and Pastor Robert, doing amazing. Sons and daughter son and daughter of the ministry have been faithfully with me for a long time. And their church is doing great right now, you know. They have the DNA of what we do at the supernatural life, and they just naturally get it, you know? Now, again, benefit of the doubt, Daniel may not even realize that he's doing this, but this is Naranese. This is speaking Naranese because he's he even identifies himself as an apostle. Uh, Leon Dupree acknowledged him as an apostle numerous times in their conversation they had on the prophetic YouTube video. He referenced Leon as the pro- as prophet, So, and they acknowledged that they needed one another because one believes he's an apostle, one believes he's a prophet. And I would wonder if they believe that they have governing authority within the church. That would be a question that would be worth asking. But when you call yourself an apostle and then he refers to himself on his social media accounts as an apostle to the nations, um, the only apostles to the nations that I know of are the apostles of Christ in scripture. And what they taught is sufficient. They laid the foundation, according to Ephesians 2.20, and there are, there's no need for new apostles today. And if you're going to come and claim that you have revelatory knowledge to share with us, which he does uh, say that, then that brings pause to think you probably think you're a big A apostle with governing authority. We don't need new revelation. We have scripture. We don't need that. Um, so I would just be very cautious with someone who calls himself an apostle an apostle to the nations, uh, saying spiritual DNA, that's that's a buzzword right there. That's why I said Naranese, uh, when you got the spiritual DNA of the founder of the or the father, and that they stand on that too, the father-son identity relationship, spiritual sons, spiritual daughters, spiritual fathers, all of that. Now, I want to point you to some articles. I'm not going to go through all of them for time's sake, but I do want to point you to some articles that may be of help. For example, when you're talking about the different areas that they talked about, just just to touch on a little bit, such as uh, repentance and talking about confessing sins and do we need to repent of our sins to be saved? There is an article, I'll share the link below, from um, a website called CARM, C-A-R-M dot org. It's a very good article from September 22nd of 2018. Uh, It says, is it necessary for us to repent of our sins in order to be a Christian and be saved? And he says the answer is yes and no, depending on how we understand repentance as it relates to salvation. And he goes through, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I would encourage you to read it because I think it will be helpful. But he says, on the one hand, yes, we must repent of our sins in order to be Christians and be saved. 
But what he means by this sense of repentance and salvation is that we cannot continue in our sins if we really are Christians, and we cannot purposely abide in sin and not turn from it and also truly trust in Christ. True Christians truly repent. If someone never repents of his sin, it is a sign of unregeneration. On the other hand, no, repentance of sin is not necessary in order to become a Christian. And what he means by this sense of repentance and salvation is that the unbeliever is not obligated to keep the law in order to be saved. So he offers these three, these three things to consider, and, and I'll move on to the next article. But it's a longer article, but I would encourage you to look at it. But he says uh, the three things to consider here, sin is violating the law of God. Uh, number two, repentance is turning away from violating the law of God to keeping the law of God. And number three, repentance is compliant with the law of God. So we're not obligated to keep the law of God. At the same time, born-again believers will find that God's law or instruction is written on their hearts. And true believers do not want to sin against God. They realize because they, they have abided in his word, John 8, 31, Jesus said that, truly, if you are my disciples, you will abide in my word, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, John 8, 32. So his word brings freedom because the gospel brings true freedom. And it brings us the freedom to understand the grace that's been extended to us to save us from the penalty of our sins and to have Christ's righteousness imputed to us to cleanse us from all sin. And then we also can understand in the way in which we should walk based on what the word of God tells us and being led by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will will always testify and... um, and confirm his written word. (laughs) That's another thing too, when people are told, well, you just need to go hear the voice of God for yourself. Listen, and, and, and just hear me on this. When someone tells you, you need to go hear the voice of God for yourself, you need to be very cautious about that because you will start hearing your own thoughts and, and, and ascribe them to God. Your final authority and my final authority as a believer is scripture. That's the foundation you rest upon. The moment that you start crossing into this arena of, well, I just need the Holy Spirit to tell me where to go. He's already told you in the word. It may not tell you in there how to bake a cake and, and, and where to go shopping and things like that. Those are simple decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis. But the word of God tells you how to conduct yourself as a believer. There's no question about that. The Word of God tells you how to um, know what to look for in a godly spouse, okay? If you're, if you're not married and you're wanting to know what a godly husband or a godly wife looks like, there are things in Scripture that help us to know in the way in which we should walk and, and help us in making decisions. It does not have to be a mystical thing for you that you have to go to some mountaintop to hear the voice of God for yourself, or you have to get in a dimly lit room with certain worship music playing, and you just need to tap into a certain frequency. Again, this is a whole other topic for another time, but I just want to encourage you in that is that your final authority in mind is Scripture. If you need clarity on how you're to conduct yourself, the Word of God is sufficient for you. You don't need new revelation on anything. And then for someone to say, well, I, I'm just going to go to the Holy Spirit to know if this person's uh, true or false and, how I, and, and see what I sense about them. That's dangerous. Please don't do that. Go back to the Word of God. It tells you what a godly leader looks like and how they are to conduct themselves. So that's the final standard. But this is a really good article, so I would just uh, recommend that you can check out this article. And 
The law does not save us, and we know that. The law is a mirror that shows us our need for Christ. At the same time, the law reveals the nature of God. So we are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. We are God's workmanship for those who are in Christ, Ephesians 2.10, that we have been uh, predestined for good works. So we are to do as God instructs in his word. We are not saved by following the law. No, mo- no one can follow the law perfectly and be saved, and that's the point of showing the, the, our need for Christ. But we know that the law shows us the nature of God, and it helps us to understand him and his ways. Now, there's another article. There's actually a couple of articles I want to share with you. There's another article from DesiringGod.org, uh, the title of it, and it has an a actual audio with it about almost nine minutes long. It says, Do I need to repent if Christ died for all my sins? So it has an audio uh, on it along with the audio transcripts. I'm going to have the link for that below so you can listen to that. I think you'll find that helpful. And then lastly, I found this article on ninemarks.org, and it talks about confession does not equal repentance. And I just want to read a little bit of this because I think that that's something that we're not really understanding. They kept saying, well, you don't need to repent. Or it seemed like they were saying, you don't need to repent after you're saved. You know, that's, you you just don't understand sanctification. Well, <laughs> when you confess your sin, there should be repentance involved in that because you're, it's not only remorse, but you're turning away from what you're doing and thank God for, for conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? I think that's a false dichotomy too. And Daniel mentioned that. And there may be some people that are continuously living in past sin that repented of that sin and you're no longer walking in those ways. Christ has forgiven you. You're washed clean. There can be people that have been under legalism, and it's ironic also to to say legalism because there is a lot of legalism that goes on in the, in this charismatic movement at times. So, of well, you just got to hear the voice of God for yourself, and you got to get this de, uh, this deliverance done, and deliverance maintenance, and sozo, and inner healing, and you just got to give enough money, and you just got to believe enough, and you just got to pray hard enough, and you just got to fast enough, and on and on and on. Not every leader in the charismatic movement is like that. You do see this, and there is charismatic legalism that goes on in this type of environment. And trying to ignore that and say, well, it's all on the other side of the aisle with those that aren't, that aren't con- uh, continuationists and aren't charismatic is incorrect to state that. It, it can be across the board, and I recognize that. When we're talking about charismatic, hypercharismatic, NAR, there is a lot of, of legalism that goes on in that, and it creates spiritual bondage. No matter what you believe, whether you're charismatic or not, it can create spiritual bondage. That's why it's important to go back to the Word of God. So in this article of Nine Marks, Confession Does Not Equal Repentance, the author states, maybe we were repulsed by our sin after a gospel-centered sermon, a Christ-anchored Bible study, or a meaningful time of prayer. Perhaps we've been confronted with our iniquity after a friend's rebuke, a spouse's edifying correction, or a time of self-examination during the Lord's Supper. In, in these moments, the Holy Spirit gives a heart-wrenching conviction of sin that's either newly uncovered or old and rusty. Emotional brokenness and convincing contrition quickly follow, and we're suddenly in glorious agreement with God about our sin. All of this is known as confession, 1 John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. This author goes on to cite what's missing. But how many times have we seen this happen without genuine and lasting change? 
Why does genuine transformation still evade us? Perhaps it's because we don't understand that confession and repentance aren't the same thing. In our genuine desperation to be done with the shame and the shackles of our sin, we confess. But then sometimes we foolishly exhale and believe our work is done. Not wanting to talk about or be bothered by our sin again, we fail to realize that our confession is just the beginning. This failure is why many people experience false transformation. We shirk repentance when we agree with the truth of our sin, confession, without choosing the gospel-motivated response. To be sure, repentance is jump-started by confessing our sin to one another, 1 John 1, verses 9 and 10. But it must extend further. We must make no provisions for the flesh, viciously renounce temptation, Matthew 5, 24-27, and eagerly walk the tangible road of godly grief, 2 Corinthians 7, 10-11. Repentance requires no foot-dragging, blame-shifting, excuse-ridden compliance that bends under someone else's forced demands on us. Instead, true repentance is eagerly expressed in fellowship within our local church as a genuine surrender to biblical truth inserted into our lives by those who love God and care about us. When we're repentant, we see the necessity of rebuilding trust with others, even if it takes longer than we planned. Christians who have genuinely repented seek to live in the light. 1 John 1, 5-7, and to avoid ungodliness because repentance requires not only forsaking sin, but also putting on Christ, Romans 13, 14. It demands that we turn away from debauchery and turning toward God by putting on Christ, Colossians 3, verses 1-17. through Practically, putting on Christ involves serving the Lord and others and studying God's Word. Putting on Christ means increasing fellowship, singing, praying, and setting our mind on the things above, primarily through fellowship in our local church. This process will take time, and we'll continue to make missteps. But when God brings someone to repentance, the fruit will be evident over time. Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. And the author goes on to talk about four distractions that can cause problems in this process, and legalism is certainly one of them. And he states that the fear of legalism is sometimes a fear of genuine repentance. In Christ, we're called to avoid temptation and sin, not to flirt with it. As long as our efforts to repent aren't attempts to undermine God's favor for us in Christ, then there's little reason that we should say, I don't want to be legalistic when talking about our fight against sin. And then he goes on to talk about the importance of confession, prayer, and repentance that are three ways we should biblically pursue our growth in Christ. So I'm going to leave the link to this below. And I would just encourage you again, when you hear these things and people are saying, you know, you, you need to have your mind renewed by the Word of God. Uh, prayer is a vital thing in your life, confession, repentance. It almost seemed as if uh, Daniel and possibly even Leon uh, were, were dismissing that when people said that. They were saying that you're placing people back under the law. Well, when you're pointing people back to the truth of the Word of God and a believer's fellowship with God, which is confession, confessing your sins before God, uh, repentance, prayer, staying in the word, renewing your mouth. That's not legalism, and that's not the law. You need to have your mind renewed by the word. The word of God is something that, that God has left us. He has provided this so that we know in the ways that we should walk, and not only that, that's part of our fellowship with God. So I don't think that Daniel Adams would say that you shouldn't be in the Word. It was just the way it, it came across in that conversation that they had. Again, because it was a very muddy and confusing conversation, and it was not clear as to what they tr fully believed. So I think that you may find these articles helpful, and there's probably other ones out there as well. But just in closing with this, and it's important as believers in Christ that we understand that God has 
made a way for us to come to him through the ministry of reconciliation, through, through, his, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through his son, so that we can have that fellowship with him and that we can have eternal life. And part of our relationship with Christ is repentance. It's not only the repentance at the very beginning of justification, but there is also the repentance that, um, that comes to us through our walk with God, through sanctification. There's one other article that I'll leave for you. It's by Verse by Verse Ministry, and they talk about the big R repentance versus little r repentance. So you may find that helpful as well. So I'll have several article links for you just to help you with your understanding on this. Because my goal is, because I want you to understand the, uh, the power of the gospel and to understand that Christ is most certainly sufficient. His word is most certainly sufficient. And his word has instructed us in how we are to conduct ourselves. And it's, it's vital that we stay in the word of God. And so vital, too, uh, as we close, and I go full circle with one of the things that Daniel Adams said and, and, and uh, contending for the faith. And for those that have made a point to express great concern and be good Bereans about some of the things that are uh, happening right now. And when I see the different things that are coming out from these different leaders and these types of movements, I see things going from bad to worse. And scripture warns us that this will happen, even with, uh, especially with those that are false teachers, that things will go from bad to worse. Um, I'm reminded of Jesus talking about narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life and wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And I, I appeal to the thing, I appeal to this matter again of just because numbers are high and something seems to be exploding and someone wants to say, well, you attacked my ministry or you're coming after me and persecuting me. And so that, and God's expanding my territory and expanding my reach and my influence that, that the conclusion they draw is, well, God approves of what I'm doing. I think we need to evaluate that in accordance with scripture and to say, just because someone has has a massive platform, or they have big numbers, or that their belief system is growing, does not mean that it's of God. We know in Scripture that there will be many that will fall away. There will be many that will be led into deception, that there is a wide gate that leads to destruction. We see that the false teachers are, like I said, are going to go from bad to worse. They're going to go from being deceived and deceiving others. We can see in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, I would encourage you to read that, and it's talking about the conduct of some of these false teachers that Paul warned about. He told Timothy about the false teachers and the true contentment, and you can start in a half of verse 2 in 1 Timothy 6 on to verse 10. Um, talking about how they are puffed up with conceit and, and they understand nothing. And they have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and con constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. And when I hear people that are not welcoming uh, critique, and, and critique is not fun. Uh, I do not enjoy critique and I, I don't enjoy being in error, but I'm thankful now to be on the other side of this and think, I wish someone years ago had told me I was in error, had loved me enough to, to say something. And it's very interesting to me, too, that a lot of people in this movement are do not want to name names. 
but they look down upon those that do name names like myself. And that's a biblical practice to name names. And the reason for doing that is to draw you back to scripture and say, the things that are being taught and the practices that are being stated, that are conducted, they're not lining up with the word of God. And the ultimate concern is, is God being exalted in this? Is the, is the true gospel being proclaimed? Are people really come to saving faith in Christ? Are they being led off further and further into myths and deception? And I would also be, be very mindful and pay attention when people use language that sounds biblical. Just because someone uses specific language that sounds biblical, you need to test it. Just because they use the name of Jesus, you need to test it. Just because they say those certain things that we may be accustomed to, we need to test it. Test all things against the Word of God. That is the final authority. And with that, I'm going to leave you today. I appreciate you taking time to listen to this episode. I hope you found it helpful, and I hope you find the articles helpful. Until next time, when we tackle another topic, be blessed today by the truth of God's Word. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. You can also email me at dawnatlovesubscribe.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll consider leaving a five-star review and that you'll even share it with others who may benefit from the information provided. If you also like reading, you can subscribe to my blog at lovesubscribe.com, where I release weekly blogs that correlate with the podcast episodes. I've enjoyed our time together today, and I look forward to our next time together as we dive into biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.